welcome to the pop girls podcast <laughs> that was really good thank you i'm hannah and i'm larisha and this is our podcast <laughs> this is a podcast two years in the making that was delayed by life and then delayed by covid and then delayed by life again but it's here now it's here now and we're ready to deliver you all things pop as your resident pop girls we can be trusted we're both former current whatever hiatus one direction stands we're built for the pop life we're also both music writers Oh, yes. Both Very important been, to mention that part. Yeah. Our jobs. <laughs> yeah. We're both music writers. We've been paid real American dollars to talk about music. So you that can trust our, our opinions. So that's our qualifications yes. to talk about pop music. Our other qualification is that we are girls in our early 20s and we grew up as pop fans. We essentially and we never let it go. In- invented pop music. Um, yeah. There's no better trusted source for pop music than two 20-something-year-old girls. So every time we do this, we don't know how often this is going to be yet, but every time we do this, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in music, what is new, what is noteworthy, what we're liking, what what we're not liking. Yeah, what the timeline has to say. And hopefully your timeline will overlap with our timeline. And if it doesn't, maybe you'll learn something new. And if not, you know, maybe you'll get a new opinion. Maybe you'll get your thoughts validated. You never know. Or invalidated, which is also going to be fun for you when we tell you that you're wrong. And the thesis of this podcast is that we're always right. And after we they're always right. They're always right. So each episode, we'll be diving deep into one of our favorite moments in pop culture, music, and history. This week, we'll be going back to our teenage years and looking at the music that defined us in 2014, the culture that surrounded it, and try to figure out why teenagers today want to bring it back. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> so Lord has someone she wants you to meet. Her feet are bare at all times. She's sexy, playful, free. She's a modern girl in a dead sock bikini. She's in touch with her past and her future. Her skin is glowing. Her lovers are many. Lord is completely obsessed with her and she's completely convinced that we will be too. And that is how she introduced us to her third album, Solar Power, which is out. We don't know when. I'm expecting during the summer, but we have one single title track, Solar Power. It came out last week randomly after the album art was uploaded to Lord's website. Her jumping over her friend's camera, underneath shot of her in a bikini, which is a mix up from classic Lord. I feel like she's the last person who I expected to see just like cheeks out all over my timeline. But now we're here. Solar Power is out, produced by Jack Antonoff, who also made the entire album with Lord. I'm assuming recently. It doesn't sound like this was made that long ago. It's been four years since Melodrama, which Jack also produced. And I'm assuming Lord obviously maybe took a year or two off after that before making anything new. And yeah, so Lord's back. Well, she said she's sure we're going to love Miss Solar Power, but I'm not sure what the consensus is on that. I feel like Miss Solar Power is living a different life than me, and I don't know if I can relate to her very much. Right. It's very sunny, very acoustic based, kind of cheeky in the lyrics, which is fun, which is nice because everyone's like going outside again. She gave us a lot of Instagram caption content, but at the same time, I don't feel the way that this song feels. 
And so I feel like my body and my mind are like rejecting it basically because it's just not what I expected, I think. And I didn't expect her to make Melodrama 2.0, obviously, but there was such a big jump between Pure Heroin 2013, Melodrama 2017, that I expected Melodrama 2017 to Solar Power 2021 to have a similar growth. And I don't know if I'm hearing that. Like I was saying to you before, Pure Heroin came out when I was a freshman in high school. Melodrama came out when I was about to be a freshman in college. And now Solar Power is coming out right after I graduate college. And at all those times, I felt like there was always something in those albums to speak to how I was feeling. And that was sort of what I needed to hear at the time. But I don't know what I want to hear right now. You know, I don't know where I'm at, where we're at as a culture and where what we want to hear musically in our space transitioning out of the pandemic i'm not sure if i want a party anthem yet i'm not sure if i want something super sad i'm not sure if i want something super beachy i don't know exactly what purpose i want music to serve in my life right now and i feel like that's part of the general reaction to mellow i mean to uh solar power i'm not sure what purpose i want music to serve in my life right now and i don't know if anyone does really i don't know what we want from our artists right now yeah and i think it's hard just because like lord wasn't in america for the last year right Mm -hmm. she's been back in new zealand where the pandemic was never that bad because their government is competent and helps them and ours cannot relate in any way shape or form constantly dropping the ball, fumbling the bag. And so she was over there. She was in Antarctica for a while, hanging out with some penguins. Good for her, taking some pictures. And I think we're going to reach a point in music. And I think it's starting now. We're going to see it kind of throughout the rest of the year and in the coming months that there's kind of like a fork in the road between the artist who actually saw and paid attention to what was kind of happening in the world in 2020 and the artists who really weren't that close to what was happening. And I think the question is, do we want a bunch of pandemic records Mm -hmm. that are telling us how bad things were after we already lived through how bad they were without the wealth cushion that most of the artists that we listened to had? I don't know if I want to hear about how hard the pandemic was for a rich person with four houses throughout the world. I don't know if that's of interest to me. I feel like at that point, yeah, I would rather y'all just sit here and sing your happy little songs that I can dance to and call it a day. And I feel like Lord is obviously a special situation because she's not American. She wouldn't have been here anyway. She did the same thing with the recording process for Melodrama. She wrote and recorded it in New York, but every few weeks she would fly back to New Zealand, hang out with her friends, go to clubs, go to parties, and then she would come back here and write about it. And she couldn't do that. She was just stuck over there. She's writing about life in New Zealand. Before, she was writing about life in New Zealand, but from the perspective of being in New York during the summer. And so this is just a New Zealand summer that I'm hearing on solar power. And I've never experienced that. New York summers suck and I hate them. (laughs) But let's talk Jack Antonoff. He's booked and busy. He is booked and busy. And if we're looking at his other records of this era, if we're calling it his pandemic era, we've got Folklore and Evermore. We've got Alana record, which I didn't really listen to but I have a I sonic listen understanding to it at all I only so. listened to the TikTok song the down at the minimum business chemtrails conference over the <laughs> chemtrails, chemtrails over the country, over the country club, club. over the country, country club. club we're not at the countryside 
We're in the country club. Yes, right. Lauren is in the countryside. I'm very different. Lana's in vibes. the countryside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, I have a, I have a sonic understanding of what a Jack Antonoff produced Lana record sounds like. And then yeah. we have what we've just gotten a preview of, but the new Claro album coming out, which is similar to Folklore and Evermore in that it's pretty stripped back. I mean, the production is there, but it's it's not like an early Bleachers record. It doesn't have that sort of big sound that he's also capable of. And I think yeah. he does that better Mm -hmm. personally i feel like kim and his acoustic guitar best friends those two they need to take a break maybe he needs to press some more buttons do some more dazzly kind of things i think the big sound works so much better for him not that i and i enjoyed folklore folklore was the first taylor swift album i listened to that i liked almost from top to bottom and that's great Mm -hmm. and now i'm kind of looking at jack antonoff like well what else are we going to be doing here then because he also has his own record coming out third bleachers album and i didn't like the second bleachers album which is very disappointing for me because i love the first one the second one wasn't really for me and that was also 2017 and i think that's interesting his records keep coinciding with the lord records that he works on gone now and melodrama came out around the same time and now we're going to get the new bleachers record close to the new lord record and i just don't know if that works in his favor so yeah i don't know i just feel like I don't know what I wanted from Lord, and I don't think that this is it, but I am hoping that the second single kind of pulls me back in because she hasn't lost me yet. She's not going to. That's the thing about Lord. Lord can put out herself singing a grocery list, and I'd be like, this has potential to be great. And I'd stick around because I'm invested in her as an artist and because she's not someone who makes something and then just puts it out without thinking very thoroughly through the intention behind it. And I love artists that do that just because so many don't. She even said in her newsletter that if people wanted details about the album, that they should look to the natural calendar for clues. I'm not doing that, but I'm glad that you put that effort in to tell people to do that. I don't know what you're talking about. We're not about. Swifties. Um, we don't, we'll not be we don't know how to do that. Calendar. But yeah, she seems very happy. I want to talk about the music video real yeah. quick. Okay, wait. <laughs> Before we get into the music video, because I do want to talk about the music video and the general like Twitter conversation. We're not talking about the pandemic. If we take away cultural context, if we take away Jack Antonoff, do you like the song? (laughs) Do that. Do take him away. That's what I want. I want to say yes. Okay. It is the type of song that I will listen to once and save it to my Spotify library. And then every time it comes on shuffle, I will skip it. And then one day, about three months down the line, I won't skip it. And then I'll listen to it every day for two weeks straight. And then I'll love it. That's how I see my relationship with Solar Power playing out. But then at that point, the rest of the album will be out and I will not have to do that, which I'm looking forward to very much. My first thought was Lord's having her watermelon sugar moment and I'm happy for her. And I like watermelon sugar. I like a bit of easy listening. I just want something to drive to sometimes. I just want to feel like I'm in Laurel Canyon sometimes. I understand the genre. I like the genre. I don't know if it's what I want from Lord. Correct. I would have never thought that this is the direction she would go in. I like the song. I like it for her. I like that she's having this beach hot girl summer moment. I'm here for she's it. glowing. She looks she's gorgeous. Glowing. But I can't say that my first reaction wasn't surprise from this sonic world from her because all the world she's created so far have been so different, even with Jack Antonoff. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about Lord. I mean, she said this in her Zane Lowe interview, and I remember like reading about the process of making melodrama. She starts every single one of her songs on piano, 
And mm-hmm. so I'm curious about how different this song could have sounded if it would have kept that kind of bass and not switched over to just an acoustic guitar for most of the song. I'm also thinking about how Greenlight, I believe, wasn't originally supposed to have that key change. I think that was something added in later. I'm thinking about what kind of song that would be without that, because that's so much part of the reason that it's like such a big song. Maybe Solar Power could have gone to that level, but they decided to keep it more towards the ground. But like you said before, it is only one piece of an album. And so I think that's also part of the reason why no one is, even if they don't love it, people aren't like jumping to conclusions yet because we know that Lauren isn't someone to just make one album with a bunch of songs that sound exactly the same. Right. And Lord has very much from the beginning been like this innovator within pop where nothing that she was making sounded like anything else in pop. And then it kind of followed behind her. So now she's coming back. And I think the thing that's tripping me up about this is that she sounds like everyone else. But when you're coming back in 2021 and we have Billie Eilish and we have Olivia Rodrigo and they both sonically sound like they pull from your discography for influence you can't come back and sound like you because everyone else sounds like you so now you Mm -hmm. have to sound like something else and if you're not constantly innovating you sound like you're kind of lagging the same thing's happening with Billie Eilish a lot of her more recent singles sound like the singles from her first album and it's because everyone else is starting to sound like her too I don't want to get it in my head that the next single is going to sound incredibly different from the first Mm -hmm. single because I don't want that to come out and that I'm also not happy with that single. And if I'm not liking either song, I'm not going to be as invested in the album itself, but it's Lord. So like, I have to be, I can't not be. It goes against the basic wiring of my brain to not be. But I also don't want to tarnish my idea of Lord in my head. And that's not on her. That's very much on me. I take the fault for that. I have built this shrine for her in my brain. If it goes wrong, I take responsibility for that. Maybe Solar Power is actually a commentary on parasocial relationships. She wants us to deconstruct our ideas of who Lord is. Not this call out post. (laughs) Hannah, please. Slow our voices. (laughs) I'm begging. Um, What did you think of the music video? (laughs) Don't ask me that because you know that we only think of the Humera commercial now. It's my Don't favorite ask me thing what I think of the music video when we were tweeting the Humera commercial. Someone tweeted the Humera ad edited over the, I don't even know what medication Humera, I don't know what that's for. I have no I idea. Allergies. It's allergies. Is it an allergy medication? An allergy medication that could possibly cause cancer is what it is. <laughs> Um, and someone quote tweeted the Humera ad edited over the Lord music video for Solar Power saying that New Zealand is apparently the only other country that allows pharmaceutical uh, ads to air no, on TV. I'm sorry, it's for arthritis. Oh, not the same thing. No. <laughs> but she seems so happy. It's really bright. It's really fun. I like the visual component. Fun, fun visual, very sunny, very summertime, which I love, even though it is winter in New Zealand, correct? But it's it's always like that. Yeah. Well, as she said in the- That's another thing I can't relate to. It's, we experience seasons here in New York. Yeah. Don't you remember the Pure Heroin track? No better when she sings about- Oh, yes. uh, I was enjoying the parallels to those lyrics too. She sings um, about summer so much. Mm -hmm. 
because it's yeah i hate the winter and no better was about nasty new zealand summers and she has to pretend it's snow glory and gore has there's a humming in this restless summer air there's well summer slipped us yeah. underneath her tongue um every perfect maybe summer yeah be alive she's very obsessed with summer maybe we're wrong then maybe maybe this was the logical evolution of lord music maybe we were supposed to just get like a a beach single it was just building up to this i mean i think that's all i have on solar power i don't really have yeah. much else to yeah. to throw in the hat about yeah. her yeah i'm sorry for confusing humera as an allergy <laughs> medication don't take Humera for your allergies and don't take Claritin for your arthritis. All right, do we wanna do we wanna get into some 2013-2014 discussion? Absolutely. My favorite favorite year ever, I think. I mentally do not ever progress past the year 2013. that's just where I am all the time okay I'm gonna text you some pictures quick and you're going to describe to me how they make you feel okay we got I I got it oh a collage that already takes me back it's not a collage I'll tell you that it's a it's a tumblr um it looks like the archive pages or like this was just someone's theme okay Um, so can you describe to me what we're looking at. We're looking at the year 2014 and the form of black and white photos on Tumblr. Photos of girls in combat boots. Girls in combat boots and military jackets walking into American apparel. Mm-hmm. We have an image of Jesse from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The personally my favorite Tumblr boy and then Maddie Healy, close second. Alex Turner, third place. Was never a huge Arc Monkey fan, but they caught the vibe, you know? You I couldn't very avoid much it. Understood. You could not. Coachella City Limits. Ill. Oh no. <laughs> this is so bad. Oh man. We have an ad for the 1975 debut album plastered next to an ad for Lord's debut album, both out 2013. That is a moment in history. That's crazy. The nineteen ninety five was already out at that point, and Pure Heroine's coming out in September. They Pure came Heroin out is back to back, pretty much. So we've we've got the general vibe down. Yeah, this is my Tumblr. Oh my god, <laughs> I love that. I found it. I love that, and I hate it so much. Also, Thank but you. I do love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I went and found my old Tumblr. I couldn't log in, but I remembered the URL because it's embarrassing and we're not going to say it out loud. Oh, that's a good one, though. Thank I'm you. surprised I wasn't Thank taken. You. I was on top of things back in the day. Ahead of the game. I was sure. ahead of the game. But this is my Tumblr. As Larisha described it, it's full of Arctic Monkeys and Sky Ferreira and aesthetic pictures with lyrics underneath, but the lyrics aren't associated with the pictures no no but this was the 2014 on Tumblr. of 2014 i'm just looking at it's so funny it really is 2014 you're like this is terrible i'm like this is mine <laughs> i mean terrible in the best way because if yes. i could hop in a time machine and go back to 2014 i'd be there 
I'd be there would not be in the 2020s. And yeah, 2014 has had a recent uh, resurgence among the young people. Yeah. How old were we each in 2014? I turned 16 in September 2014. So I was 15 for most of 2014. And I turned 15 in April 2014. We were like the prime target audience of this era. This was the years that would shape our music taste forever. Yes. And so that is what the New York Times did a study about back in 2016, I want to say. So the chart is titled Music of a Lifetime. And it says, when do the strongest adult musical preferences set in? For women, it's age 13. For men, it's a bit later at 14. The childhood influences are stronger for women than for men, which just makes a lot of sense, I feel. Well, what do we like now? I feel like it's important for us to say what we like now because I liked One Direction and now I like K-pop. So a boy band has never left me. A boy band list right now, but like I never left Five Sauce. Five Sauce is probably one of the most consistent musical acts, even though I don't like their second album too much, but they've kind of stayed steady, but I still very much listen to a lot of the bands I listened to then. Bastille is still one of my favorite bands. Bad Sons, their debut album, Language and Perspective, came out in 2014. One of my favorite albums ever made. I don't think any other album can make me feel like I did in 2014, like that album does. And yeah, I still just listen to a lot of pop stuff. My taste hasn't changed that much. I listen to a lot of Ariana Grande. Just like what you think of when you think of pop, that's what my entire Spotify looks like. And yeah, I don't really, like I'm an Olivia Rodrigo stan now. Like anything that is pop with a purpose, I'm on board. But I always am a sucker for anything that reminds me of those earlier days. Like anything that takes me back there, I'm gonna love that. I'm gonna love that. That's the only time I will be okay with artists sounding like they're not moving forward. If the time that they get stuck in is 2014, it's totally fine. So I think I don't have as many of like the indie influences as I maybe did. There are certain artists, I just don't seek out that music as much anymore. Um, I think that's where we differ because I like a lot of pop music, but I I think I lean more into indie music than you do, right? Because I, I think my taste would be like K-pop and then like Phoebe Bridgers and Mitski and all of those guys. And that's so I think that's where we differ a little. For me, yes. But if I'm like looking for new music, I'll go on Spotify and I'll type in like a random phrase, like a quote from a popular movie or something. And I will listen to playlists that other people have made. And that's where I'll find like a lot of those kind of songs. And then there's always songs from that 2014 period on those playlists. It doesn't matter how recent the songs on those playlists are. There's always going to be at least one Arctic Monkey songs, at least one from AM. They're going to have the Wombats on there for some reason. Like it's very, it won't be complete unless they do that. And I'm, I love that for them. So who were the artists that defined this period? For me, very much One Direction, very much Five Sauce, and then very much the 1975 and the neighborhood and then Lord, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I always forget that Lord was like such a pivotal artist at that time, just because she's, it feels like she's just always been here and very consistent. And I never like stopped having that connection to that particular music in the way that like, I never really had much of a related connection to the neighborhood or 
1975. I just like the idea of them a lot. Mm-hmm. But those are very much my big artists. And then I think Marina and the Diamonds, um, especially because I don't really keep up with her anymore. And so it is mm-hmm. very much like a, I just remember her at that time. Kind of locked that in that moment. Like. Yes, because I really did not keep up after the fact at all. I didn't get into Halsey until like later on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those were those were my people. If I'm thinking about like what I would see when I opened up Tumblr, it would be like the 1975 mm-hmm. Arctic Monkeys because AM had just come out. The 1975's debut had just come out. Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires in the City had just come out. Lord Pure Heroine, Hyam's debut album around that time was also big oh, for wow. me personally. I don't know if that was super connected to everything, but that was like a personal one. But I think they were sort of, you know, in that general aesthetic. I think those were the big artists for me that I would see every time I opened the screen and Obviously, that had a really big impact on how I was thinking and feeling because I was constantly either listening to them or seeing them or, you know, when I would come home from school, that's what I do. I would, you know, listen to music and I would look through Tumblr. It was like just this very whole experience surrounding these artists and their music. Yeah. Halsey is also a really interesting product of that era because she was so immersed in that aesthetic Like that Mm -hmm. was her whole thing. I remember I was in the city. I wasn't going to the concerts, but when she had her Badlands show at Madison Square Garden, I remember walking into Penn Station with my parents and going, this is how everyone's going to look. This is how everyone's going to be dressed. And then we walked down the stairs and it was just a sea of people that looked like that. Like Mm -hmm. they had come off of Tumblr and into real life, (laughs) which is crazy to think about. I think besides the music and the music is obviously central to it because I think the aesthetic comes so much from the music. The black and white came so much from the 1975 and the neighborhood, but obviously there were things mm-hmm. that made them make those choices. But I feel like so much more of it is just about internet spaces and it being an internet space that was really fully formed, that there was like a real mm-hmm. clear aesthetic and there was a real clear list of songs to listen to. And there was a real clear you know, way to express your feelings through it. And so I think, you know, we were both young. We had both been on the internet for, you know, a couple of years at least. But I mm-hmm. think it was the first sort of community that I remember really belonging to online. So we're having a resurgence, a romanticization of sorts by people who wish that they were teenagers in 2014. And obviously we were on the, the younger spectrum of being teenagers at that time. But it was still nightmarish in its own way. You know, I don't know if I would romanticize that era. I do think that it's like a nice period to look back on and think of being 15 and 14 years old where you really didn't have any responsibilities. And Mm -hmm. the biggest concern that you had were related to these types of things. I think how it started was people our age reminiscing about that time and the music and the aesthetic of yes. their teenage years on the internet and younger people seeing that and being like, oh, I like those bands. I wish I had been there when those songs came out. You know, I wish yes. I was part that of was this. Also, yeah. yeah, that was very much prime time for like obviously the 1975, Arctic Monkeys, The Neighborhood, like prime Lord, Lord indie girl moments. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
the music from that time is obviously the most iconic for those bands even like most of them have not surpassed the peak that they reached in 2014 the neighborhood have obviously still been successful their best album i think is wiped out which came in 2015 but there's just like a different aura about their first album sweater weather hits every single year without fail brings you into the fall perfectly it's not fall until you've listened to sweater weather like it's not it's just it doesn't work that way and it's just a very different time it was obviously you know flower crown era the stores looked horrible the clothing Mm -hmm. horrible choices in hindsight do not recommend that we ever go back there and I don't know if that's part of what's being reminisced on by these younger kids because also like there's nothing stopping them from bringing flower crowns back except like people our age would be embarrassed to partake but who's gonna stop the kids it's funny to think about now at 22 because 15 and 16 don't feel that far away as far away as they are just because it was such a pervasive time because of the culture of that time and that was all very much a those were the things people would take and that would define their entire personality it was just those things and that was fine and now i feel like the kids don't get to do that i feel like it's a lot more outward and i think at that point we were like kind of covering ourselves in these outside things and letting that speak for us and i think these younger kids don't really get a chance to do that because they're so much more involved on photo facing social media sites TikTok and Instagram and they really do have to like market themselves and brand themselves essentially and so I feel like they don't maybe get the chance to hide behind these things as much as we did. I feel like that was the time in my life where I I just wanted to listen to the 1975 and it was very clear sort of aesthetic to being a fan of them. And so I don't think you can, even if, you know, you don't like that specific band or something, I don't know if you can ever let go of wanting to be part of something like that or feeling involved in that way. Yeah, I feel like what I listened to at that time is still like my favorite music to return to most of the time and my like indie era overlapped with the biggest boom in like my pop era I think because obviously One Direction was still around at that time Five Seconds of Summer put out their debut album in 2014 and that was like beyond being my personality like being a One Direction and Five Sauce fan at that time I think 2014 was also the peak of fan culture as far as fan accounts when it was very much like a shift from I was about to say like into a maturity but we were still like children essentially but we thought we were cooler and like more mature than we probably actually were I literally remember the only reason I knew who the 1975 were was because Harry Styles tweeted out the lyrics to chocolate and I looked it up and listened to it and I was like I have no idea what's happening here but Harry likes it so I feel like the 1975 were just like a rabbit hole to all of these other things. And so I got that from my One Direction standing. And it was like the 1975 into the neighborhood, into MGMT, all of these other bands. All of these bands from 2014 are very much still around. Definitely not the same influence that they had at that point, but I also think that we're just not in that same bubble anymore. 
they could still be very influential amongst their fan bases, but it's not like a, a generational kind of thing anymore where everyone is still in that same place. I think Lord is the only person from that era that kind of outlasted that to where she's still serving as like a marker. And you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about solar power, but she's still showing up at the transitional periods in people's lives and defining entire moments and sections in our coming of age and young adulthood in a way that the 1975 is not doing that anymore, but also we couldn't relate to the 1975 in the first place. I would hope not. I really hope that none of us were 14 years old relating to anything on that first 1975 album. I think that's part of it looking back, right? Because you look back on your teenage years and I'm like, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't experiencing anything, but I remember it like I did because of this music I was listening to. So if I'm listening to a 1975 song that has nothing to do with anything that was actually going on in my life, I still feel like I'm a teenager. But it's not because of something I did, it's because of that music I listened to. And I think that's a universal experience, no matter what your bands were or what your, you know, music was. You sort of live through that for any music fan. And I think that's also part of the reason why it sticks with us so much because it's the first music you really live through. Yeah, and I think it's also like the first music that feels like it belongs to you. Mm -hmm. I think up until that point, you're largely listening to the radio. You're largely listening to what your parents are playing in the house. And so you're listening to somebody else's music. And I think when like I first found One Direction, it was a similar thing, but like also they were so famous that it was just like, they didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I could claim them as mine because they were everyone's. And I think when Five Seconds of Summer came into the picture, that was the first band. And I think that's why they're still my favorite band is like that emotional connection to that being the first band that I ever was able to support from when no one knew who they were until like, you know, doing these huge arena shows and things like that. I think why I think so fondly on 2013 and 2014. I miss it so much all the time, but I think it was just fun in general. I think pop music was at a great moment at that point. And as a pop girl, I was having a great time, but I also liked that I had things that were just like, I would go to school and be like, no one knows about these bands. I'm so cool because I'm the only one who knows about these bands. And obviously if someone does that now, that's just, you're pretentious and annoying. But when you're 14, you get to do that and it's fine. No one's going to tell you you can't. I think just to backtrack a little bit, I think we should both just talk about One Direction really quickly because we've been mentioning it, but yes. not mentioning that we were Wendy girlies. So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. It's part of so, our DNA. Yeah. We were both yes. major One I Direction fans. Started listening to One Direction in 2012, um, early that year. I want to say in like March of, or April of that year. Um, and then obviously, they didn't like really, really hit their stride until like 2013, 2014. Those were the golden years, the best time to be a One Direction fan, um, especially because that was before everything fell apart. And I think that's also a good reason to look back on that time finally, being like, oh, how naive we were um, to know that this was all gonna like crumble and fall away within a year. Um, but it was such a fun time and we were getting to see one direction grow musically and they were just getting so famous and there was such a community online of one direction fans that it felt like just 
a little family, a very toxic family, but a little family regardless, you know, so kind of like real life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just feel like they played such a pivotal role in everyone's life. I think it's important for us to talk about One Direction because that was my first experience with the internet. Being a mm. One Direction fan mm-hmm. is what got me on the internet. That was when I first created Twitter and Tumblr. Yeah. It was all because of that. And yeah, I'm guessing too. it's the same for you, right? I make my Twitter account and that kind of just spirals from there. I have a lot to talk about. A lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings that I need to, to process at 13. And I think that's why I am the way that I am with social media. Like it's very much like when I'll see people like, I need a break from social media. I wouldn't know how to do that because I've spent the last almost 10 years of my life logging on to this bird app every single day and just tweeting about music and culture and just whatever I'm thinking. Like, I don't know how to not be like that. And that's very much because of One Direction. Larisha is verified on Twitter now. I am verified. I can't wait to live tweet in the award show with my little little blue check. They made a mistake. I I literally have no authority over anything. And I think the thing that I look back and I'm just like, well, why were we doing that? Was very much that it felt like it was all of these young girls predominantly, essentially almost like raising each other. We would go to each other for advice as if we knew anything about anything. And it was kind of like a blind leading the blind kind of thing. And I think Lord is a really interesting figure in that because her music has become like this defining thing for people who were teenagers when Peter Her one came out and that album was very suburban very angsty very I'm a teenager and it kind of made assumptions about how you were supposed to feel as a teenager and then when you're 14 you're just like okay I should like these things and I should feel these emotions this way and I think it's so funny because in hindsight it's just like what were we going through like were we <laughs> we were not okay but it was like so light-hearted almost that it didn't feel like you needed to be like kind of concerned about it. And I think the parts that are bleeding over were just like, yeah, we have these Tumblr accounts full of all of these images of girls standing in the middle of the street and cigarettes and like bruises and really odd kind of thing. (laughs) And you look back in hindsight, it was like, there was a lot of eating disorder propaganda involved in all of that. It's a lot of unhealthy kind of ideologies to be pushing on teenagers and it's not like anyone else was pushing that on us but ourselves essentially but like that's what I remember like the thigh gap discourse being a thing and I didn't know what a thigh gap was before me neither I think that was the first time I ever felt insecure about my body though now I'm seeing girls on TikTok essentially doing the same thing except now instead of thigh gaps they don't want hip dips and I'm like what is a hip dip what the fuck is a hip dip yeah. And it's just history repeating itself. I was looking before it just, I just put in 2014 Tumblr into TikTok mm-hmm. and the amount of like nostalgia TikToks. And it's, it's not even just the music, it's the imagery too. And like we were saying before, it's like girls standing in the street in front of an American apparel, but it's a very singular version of a girl. And it's like <laughs> a skinny cis white girl always. Yes, 1000%. And And you're talking about, you know, there was definitely, I mean, the internet's never been a good place for not encouraging eating disorders, but there was definitely the 
thinspo then was also crazy that that's what you were supposed to look like those girls were like in a way like the the original influencers for mm-hmm. us and they yeah. didn't even act they were just posting pictures online yeah. and it became this whole thing and it was like you were being told that that's what you were supposed to want that's what you were supposed to want to look like which was supposed to want to have these pictures of people at 1975 concerts like can you imagine being like 13 or 14 in the crowd at a 1975 show I, w- I wouldn't want I that. was <laughs> I was not I, I was 1975 for the first time until I was 17 and oh, even then I that saw made them more, I felt better there I saw them in 2013 I saw them December the 2013 it was Webster Hall December 2013 I got my braces off Jeez. that day <laughs> I got my braces off that day and then I went to Webster Hall and I saw the 1975 and I was 14. Another big part of it for me, I think, was the concert culture because I was this little kid from Long Island and I felt like going to the city for concerts was a Mm -hmm. big part of shaping my personality as something separate from people I knew here, people I went to school with because the city, even though we live right outside the city, it was just like this totally other place because it was nothing like the suburbs, but it was still accessible. So I feel like that was also a big thing for me getting away. My venture into concerts didn't get like serious until I moved back to New York. I'm from here, but I went to Midland High School in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so that was my suburban life and time. I always think that I wouldn't have the same musical interest as I do if I would have stayed in New York. I would have had as much time on my hands just sitting around because there's nothing to do in the suburbs but sit around and find new music and, and actually learn things about yourself. I don't know if I would have done that as much if I was in the city in the city. Those were the times. And I don't know if kids like make friends on the internet like they used to. Oh, they totally I sound do. like I sound like a senior yeah, citizen. The kids. Back in the old days. <laughs> Back in the old days. But I feel like it's stand culture has changed so much that it's not as we're just here to talk about the music that we like anymore it's like statistics and chart positions and all of these things that I genuinely don't think we used to care about Um, and it just becomes such a different thing that I don't see how you foster friendships in that anymore or like the ones that like how now like almost all of my friends I met on Twitter we met on Twitter Twitter is a a great place to Mm -hmm. form bonds and friendships if, if you are actually just a decent person with an interest yeah we have a podcast bonds and <laughs> exactly exactly here we are speaking of stan twitter now i think the thing that's so crazy is watching people make edits of their faves to robbers and all these songs that we used to make eight tracks playlists of our faves too not eight tracks and if you don't know eight tracks was an app where you could make mini mixtapes and people would make them surrounding probably like Harry or Zane or Luke from Five Sauce or whatever book character they were they very liked. specific they, they were, were very specific, specific. it and would be like going to the park of... with Harry at 3 a.m on a Tuesday in fall. Like just down to every detail. I get emails every now and then saying that someone liked one of my eight tracks playlists and I hope you're okay. Thank you 2014 Revival for our clout. (laughs) Yes. For our delayed clout. And I think the way that 2014 tapered off is very interesting. 
I was just searching through this top hits of 2014 playlist mm -hmm. and the one song that I saw in there if someone asked me to explain 2014 to them I would just play this Cool Kids by Echo Smith Wish that the lyrics of that like song cool kids. that's it that's what the vibe was for yeah. the entire year that's all mm -hmm. it was that is like the perfect encapsulation of that time that song was painfully annoying I hated it but I probably just felt called out. That's probably but they why made I a point. Like I like, they stop. had a point. They did. They did. And it was also that was one of the first like big viral songs because it was so big on Vine. And Vine, you know, oh for God. all you, the, yeah. you um youngins before the age of TikTok, we had Vine. And that's where I also saw a lot of those edits. Like that you're talking about people are remaking these edits on TikTok now with like their favorite artists like fan cams basically but with like yeah. 1975 songs dubbed over them that's how it was on vine those were the original fan cams they were just yeah. only six seconds long and, and that's it why it's like, crazy to me because i'm like i'm seeing yes. jungkook from bts with robbers in the background in it's the crazy. same exact way with like the same filters that i would see zane and it's really it's weird to have something insane. come that full circle on the internet which usually moves on pretty quickly it's and very abandon something forever yeah it's very copy and paste history will always repeat itself i cannot wait until 2023 when we just go back to 2013 all i want thanks for listening to our first episode we hope you made it to this point and if you did here are some topics we're planning on talking about in the future yes we'll be diving deep into Ed Sheeran's music. I was about to say diving deep into Ed Sheeran. We will not be doing that. We will be diving Never. deep into Ed Sheeran's discography to figure out where and what went wrong. What the fuck happened there? Exactly. What happened to Ed Sheeran? We're also planning on talking about how our culture talks about teen girl pop stars. We're going to look at Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish and how the narratives surrounding them shape and change and then i'm also going to be subjecting larisha to a k-pop episode and i will be learning how to be a good k-pop stan something that i cannot claim to be now but honestly but she will by the end of this <laughs> i have full faith yeah. full faith i will be buying what are those cards called photo cards <laughs> yep i will be buying up some photo <laughs> i'm not even convincing myself right now <laughs> We don't have a sign off, but you know, thanks for listening. Join us next time. Yeah. Join us next time. I don't know what our next episode's gonna be, but that's the fun of it. Yeah. Um yeah. That that's that's what yeah. I have. Just yeah. Join us next time. Bye. Thanks and bye. <laughs> thanks and bye.